Welcome to the Bloomberg Markets Podcast. I'm Paul Sweeney, alongside my co-host, Matt Miller. Every business day, we bring you interviews from CEOs, market pros, and Bloomberg experts, along with essential market-moving news. Find the Bloomberg Markets Podcast on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to podcasts and at Bloomberg.com slash podcast. Well, July, Matt, I'm not sure you know this, is plastic-free July. Uh, people being urged to really think about and limit their use of plastics, uh, not just for the month of July, but going forward. And that's a big, big issue globally, uh, certainly here in the United States in terms of limiting uh, pollution. Stuart Landisberg, co-founder and CEO of Grove Collaborative, he joins us. Stuart, thanks so much for joining us here. Talk to us about this plastic crisis, if you will, in terms of you know our landfills. Just give us some numbers to kind of frame it out for us. Sure. Thanks so much for having me. Uh, so plastic is an environmental crisis at the same level as some of the impact of animal agriculture and the carbon-dependent dependent energy economy. The prevalence of plastic throughout our society is incredible because our ability to dispose of the enormous amount of plastic that we create is so limited. We make worldwide almost a trillion with a T pounds of plastic every year. Almost 50% of that is single-use plastic packaging alone. So single-use plastic packaging, oh, about 400 billion pounds produced annually. And no matter how much plastic we put into our recycling bins, only about 9% gets recycled. So you have this incredibly massive machine churning out forever garbage. And that garbage is going into landfills, it's getting incinerated, and it's ending up in our oceans and ultimately ending up in our water and our food in the form of microplastics. So a huge problem, which I... Oh, no. Uh, we lost Stu. Um, all right. Well, we're well, going to try and get him back yeah. there. But you, you here's, gotta, here's mean, the thing that he just said that really jumped out of me. Only 9% of plastics are recycled. I mean, it seems like we take so much time and effort, certainly here at Bloomberg, yeah. where they do a great job, but just in general... Recycle our plastics. I don't know where the rest of it goes. I mean, I think 9% sounds high. Do I don't you? know okay. if people really buy into that in recycling myth. Is it, how is it there versus it, um, there being Germany? I mean, everybody in Germany separates so much stuff. And, you know, you, you spend so much time separating your, your yep. waste. And then we all know at the end of the day, most of these waste management companies just put it into landfills or throw it out in the ocean. I mean, it's no one believes that we're really recycling all this stuff. And my question for Stuart, if we have him back, he's is back. Why, you know, who are the biggest offenders in terms of, for example, the S and P 500 or, or stock 600 companies that, that we invest in, which of them are making so much single use plastic that they know is going to end up just polluting the planet. It's a great question. So, I'm not sure if you heard me say before, 40% of the trillion pounds of plastic we create each year is single garbage, right? You, you create this plastic bottle that can last thousands and thousands of years for use in 10 minutes. And so the biggest companies from a plastic pollution standpoint, the biggest contributors are the big consumer products companies who rely on this to get their product out there and distribute it. And I really think this is this is one of the reasons I'm actually. But let's name them, Stuart. I mean, who, are we talking about Coca-Cola here? Are we talking about Procter and Gamble? Um, who, are we talking about Nestle? Who are who are the uh, who are the the companies doing this? 
you've named a couple of them, and look, there are a bunch of NGOs who come out with, with more accusatory folks. The tone I like to take is really one of, hey, how do we as an industry, and Grove, the company that I run, is a CPG business, and we look for alternative materials to package our products, materials like aluminum that are infinitely recyclable, materials like paper you can use over and over again, unlike plastic. I think you said it well. Plastic recycling is a bit of a myth. Plastic has to be downcycled, so it can only be recycled two or three times at most, whereas aluminum is infinitely recyclable with 95% energy savings. So I think that companies like Grove can change the industry by looking for alternative materials that have a different sustainability profile. I think it's a huge opportunity that hopefully many of these companies that you named and others will gravitate towards. What's the cost differential? I'm guessing that's kind of the gating issue for a lot of these companies and a lot of these industries. The cost differential in sort of in terms of the whole product is actually nominal because the cost of packaging is fairly small. And we're able to build business models where the product is just as high quality, it's affordable for consumers, and it's much more sustainable. I think the bigger issue is the traditional innovator dilemma where the you know, diluted product in big plastic bottle is so wildly profitable for large companies, and there's billions, tens of billions of dollars of infrastructure, supply chain built out to support that profit pool. The cost of disrupting yourself if you're a large, successful organization is, is really big. And that's why brands like ours that speak with an authentic mission and were created from the beginning with a supply chain that's cleaner and delivering a higher quality product to consumers are able to succeed even in the face of big competition. Is there one big, um, you know, uh, dam that has to break? Is there one big piece of the solution we need to see, like government interaction? I would love to see government regulation on the plastic front, but in general, I'm more of a free market person. And I think the thing that we are seeing now is that consumers are getting more and more educated. The plastic waste was a problem we could mostly ignore for the last 50 years. But for the next 50 years, we're not going to be able to ignore it. And I think that's going to change consumer sentiment. And ultimately, that change in consumer sentiment will drive companies to change their behavior. Got to vote with your dollar. Stuart Landisberg, co-founder and CEO of Grove Collaborative. This is Bloomberg. Let's get over right now to Danielle DiMartino Booth. She's CEO and Director of Intelligence at Quill Intelligence. She used to be an advisor to the Dallas Fed, and she also is a Bloomberg, still a Bloomberg opinion contributor, Danielle, or former? Uh, I am. I, I, I have not written anything in a very, very long time. Well, get I'll, to I'll work. Um, well, all right, know, so we, we publish seven days a week at Quill, but I'll get to work. There, there's no, no, so I, no, I know. You're, you're working hard, and we'd love to have you on. Uh, radio and television with us. I have been, you know, we've seen yields come down, down, down ever since the Fed um, took a more hawkish pivot, at least on the dot plot, got a little more hawkish, um, admitted now they're starting to talk taper. And now they are really talking taper. Um, why? If the, if the economy looks strong enough for the Fed to start talking taper, why are we seeing yields come down? Well, you know, if you look at, first of all, let, let's dispense with the technicals argument. I get that the short trade in treasuries was enormous. Uh, but you could have said the same thing, uh, you know, nine months ago about the dollar trade and how crowded that was. And we haven't seen this massive boomerang short squeeze effect 
in the dollar. So technicals played a role, but I think if you look back at the history of QE tapering, that you see that, that the yield curve flattens and that long maturity bond yields come in during times of taper because financial markets don't like to have their passy taken away. And that's what you're talking about. You're talking about the dissipation of liquidity. We forget that global QE in 2017 was running north of $2 trillion a month and that the threat of global QE coming off in 2018 was what set off Valmageddon and Jay Powell's first day in office when the Dow closed more than 1,000 points down. So markets don't like even a hint that the liquidity is going to be tempered. All right, Danielle, given that backdrop, how do you expect this Federal Reserve to, in fact, temper, taper, however you want to f- phrase it? Well, so, so here's the issue, and this is what prior, this is what Powell's three predecessors did not have to deal with. They were always worried about deflation, deflation, deflation. That was the boogeyman. But what we're seeing right now is stagflationary risks rising. You look at single-family rentals, for example. Morgan Stanley has a proprietary model that shows that that year over year through the second quarter, those rents are running north of 11%. Class A and B properties, those rents are running north of 9%. These are sticky sources of inflation. And the greatest risk is that we're seeing peak growth at the same time we're seeing inputs to inflation that are not going to be transitory, as we've seen in food commodities rolling over today, in lumber rolling over, in other, uh, in, in some of the metals complex rolling over. Those, might, those may be transitory. We're even seeing trucking rates in the United States come down. Those can all prove to be transitory, but the biggest input to inflation is housing. And we've seen the Fed's quantitative easing in mortgage-backed securities go on so long, too long, that it's feeding through to very rapid rental price gains. And that is going to be problematic for Jay Powell. Danielle, thanks so much for joining us. Too short of a time. Danielle DiMartino Booth will have you back on uh, soon, we hope. Danielle DiMartino Booth, CEO and Director of Intelligence for Quill Intelligence. She's also a former advisor at the Dallas Fed, so she knows a thing or two about the Fed. Well, we've been talking a lot over the past, let's call it a couple of years of perhaps a growing uh, overhang for these big tech names, um, big social media company names from a regulatory standpoint in the U.S., not just the European Union, but in the U.S. Uh, but at the end of the day, nobody seems to be that concerned, but it's still out there. And in fact, Google, parent Alphabet, has been sued by 36 states over alleged Play Store abuses. I look at Google stock here, it's off about 1.4% in line with the market, so eh, not that big a deal. But let's dig into it a little bit and talk about some of these big tech names. Mandeep Singh, Senior Tech Analyst for Bloomberg Intelligence. He joins us live, I say live, Matt Miller, in our Bloomberg Interactive Broker Studio, so it's good to have a good analyst in here. Mandeep, talk to us about, let's just start with these state suits here. Anything to worry about from Google, and, and what are the states alleging? Well, so in this case, the focus is on their app store. And uh, what Google and Apple have done is already lowered their commissions. I think what the states are alleging is, especially when it comes to certain uh, companies like gaming sector, gaming sector relies heavily on app store for generating all their revenue. If Google and Apple are taking a 30% cut, that's a lot. And uh, given the payments have to be processed through the app store, 
that's what they're alluding to. So I think the end game here is this suit obviously goes in tandem with the Fortnite suit uh, against Apple. And, uh, you know, these companies will have to change their commission structure. You can't charge 30%. That's too much. Why? It's, it, it's, if you own the store, you, you started the business, right? And now you own the store. And it's not necessary for life. You don't need to be able to play Fortnite, although it is... <laughs> loads of fun well so look at netflix netflix you can sign up outside the app store and you can still use it as an app on the app store so in case of gaming companies the problem is you can't play uh, you know that game on roku or uh, the dot com so in uh, you are relying on that app store and uh, the case that these companies are making is why can't consumers pay outside the app store and why do we have to pay a 30% cut and I think that's where they'll have to change that commission. I wonder if people are going to start bringing suits against Walmart. Why do I have to pay them at the checkout? Exactly. Should I, like my, to, that's should I be able my, to pay or, Walmart somewhere else? That's kind of my way of thinking. If I were if I were Facebook or Alphabet and, or Apple, my response would be why do you have to pay me 30%? Because I delivered a couple of billion people to you. Um, that's huge value. Yeah, go um, offer your app on Roku, you know? <laughs> so, so, so they will have to make modifications. Right now, any of these apps can't even show an ad saying, you can sign up for our app outside the App Store. At least allow them the option, the consumer the option, to pay for it outside the App Store. You can't do that right now. And that is what this suit alleges that, you know, they need to change their practices. So what would be the remedy? Like what would Apple Store or the Google Store, what is it simply as simple as that, allowing you to yeah. access? Yeah. Why are, they, why are consumers forced to pay through the App Store? Why can't they sign up on the .com or through, you know, some other way? Uh, it's like, you know, if you have... Uh, if you're paying through credit card, you can pay through any of these four credit cards, you know, Amex, Visa, Discover. Right. So it's the same. They have the, to give users the option to sign up for the services and probably open the app store. If, if these companies want to maintain their own app store, maybe that's also an option, but that's a far-fetched option. And it just seems like Google should be able to do whatever they want within their own business, you know? I mean, they started this, they invested the money, they grew it. Um, you know, the same I feel is true with Apple. Now, the argument is that you need some of these services to live. A lot of people have to use certain apps to access work, for example. Um, but you you don't, I, I can't well, see. Well, so they are providing value. The App Store value is that they are vetting all the apps making sure all the apps are good there is no malware and you know they uh, are doing all the basic background checks that you know you don't end up paying ransomware to somebody because the app is bad so there is value and that's why they need to charge a commission for you know these uh, businesses that are operating on the app store the question is are they giving users enough options to pay for it in different ways and that is uh, i think the point of contention and here. is that is that is this argument the states are pursuing similar to what the FTC, the Federal Trade Commission, is, is looking at as well? Well, so I think there is the monopoly, the ad monopoly side of okay. it, where you know uh, Google has a monopoly or a perceived monopoly in search, and then uh, this one is more aimed at 
just the you know the app store uh, commissions that uh, uh, Google is charging. Uh, I'm surprised why Apple wasn't included in yeah, this because yeah. you know they they have a very similar structure, and going uh, by what's uh, going on with the Fortnite case. But uh, apparently, uh, Apple wasn't part of this. Mandeep, just 20 seconds here. Should investors be worried about the Trump suit? No, I think, again, think of these businesses as, you know, uh, uh, I mean, uh, they have established franchises and nothing changes, you know, with uh, this headline news. Got it. Mandeep Singh is a senior tech industry analyst for us at Bloomberg Intelligence, and he joined Paul live out of the Bloomberg yeah. Interactive Broker Studio. We're getting workers back there doing their job at 731 Lexington Avenue. The mothership. This is Bloomberg. Now, I want to bring in Mark Dowding. He's the Chief Investment Officer at Blue Bay Asset Management. And do I start off by congratulating you, Mark? Are you a, a Brit, a, an well, English an supporter? Well, as an I hope so, yes. <laughs> it was, um, I think, a pretty decisive win yesterday. Uh, Denmark seemed so tired by 60, 70 minutes. They clearly weren't going to do much. Um, although I can't. I can't. I can't really buy into their guilt in the in the penalty. It seemed like a really bad call. <laughs> it did. Well, it, we 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 deserved our luck. I think on this occasion. Exactly. I was last night, and I've uh, I've almost lost my voice. Uh, I was screaming that hard. It's the uh, the first final for England. Uh, in over 50 years, so it's uh, quite a moment, and it's been some time coming. But uh, uh, certainly, there was uh, plenty to cheer about. Um, it was great so, to watch. Uh, so hopefully, it's coming home. Uh, the energy I thought was amazing of the, yeah. of the England players. Um, Harry Kane was was amazing, but Raheem Sterling was on fire. The guy still had so much energy after 120 minutes. Let's get to the stock market. It has no more energy today, but it's um, you know won a championship recently, so. No big deal. I, to me, the bond market is the more interesting thing here, Mark. Why are we seeing yields at 127 um, when the economy, when the future looks so bright? Yeah, so, so I think you, you hit on a great point. And, and I think that there's been plenty of head scratching uh, around sort of bond desks over the course of the, the past week. I, I think the one thing that you, you are starting to see here is almost a, a bit of a sense where some are bailing on the whole reflation trade uh, and thinking that maybe the growth has peaked uh, and we're moving towards back towards this narrative of secular stagnation. But uh, I, I really struggle to, to actually um, take that on board. I mean, certainly from my perspective, it continues to look as if the U.S. economy is running hot. Uh, we think that U.S. CPI next week is going to be really pretty strong. Uh, and actually, some of the moves in prices uh, are maybe going to prove less transitory than some are thinking. So we remain in the, the, the group that's pretty upbeat on, on, on growth. Uh, and so uh, we, we sense that um, in a world where the Fed isn't giving any leadership, uh, effectively, you're prone to these swings in sentiment. Uh, and at the moment, the, uh, the, the growth bears, the, the secular stagnationists, are in the ascendancy, but we don't think that that will necessarily be something that holds too much longer over the course of the summer. Well, Mark, it does seem like uh, central bankers around the world were heard from the ECB and, and, of course, the Fed over the past couple of weeks. It's lower for longer. We're in no rush to do anything here. We, You know, the Fed, we may consider tapering at some point, but I guess from the central bank's perspective, they feel like their playbook is working, I would guess. 
Yeah, I, I think it's easy, does it? Uh, I, I would emphasise that a lot of the global central banks uh, are well behind um, the situation in the US uh, that, that we see today. Obviously, in the US, we've already surpassed where GDP was uh, before we actually entered into the pandemic. Uh, and yet we, we continue to see very aggressive uh, bond buying by, by the Fed, uh, a lot of policy stimulus in the fiscal and also in the monetary channel. Uh, so we, we would naturally think that the US would probably be leading the charge in terms of uh, uh, actually starting to, to roll back on some of the balance sheet expansion. And, and you know what? I, I think if we're right on economic data, and if economic data are as strong as we think they're going to be, we still think that we could well see the Fed actually uh, move to taper its, its balance sheet purchases as early as September after having a bit of a chat about this at the, uh, the Jackson Hole meeting in August. Matt, what do you think, Matt? I think I need to be at this Jackson Hole meeting. What do you think? Yeah. Definitely. <laughs> okay. Definitely need need to be there. Um, what do you think about stocks right now? I mean, fair enough. They uh, hit another all time high yesterday, rallying every day for a couple weeks. But um, is everything already priced in? I noticed the Bloomberg Surprise Index is back down to zero after a year or two of uh, being in positive territory. Are we uh, fairly valued? Well, I think the, the, the sense that I would sort of convey in, in, in both stocks and in credit markets is that, uh, you know, I mean, valuations just aren't particularly compelling to, to jump into the trade. I, I think there's probably more sense that investors would rather buy on a dip than necessarily chase prices all the time higher here. But the other thing that you, you need to sort of uh, keep in mind all the while is that although uh, even if we're correct and we do ultimately end up seeing the Fed drawing back and bond yields moving higher, in an economy which is growing at sort of 9% real with mm -hmm. 4% on inflation on the top, I mean, 14% sort of um, uh, nominal GDP growth is going to mean super strong earnings. Yep. And so that sort of strong earnings growth is, is going to be very supportive, even if yields do go up. And if yields say as low right. as they currently are, You've got to believe that uh, stocks should end up being pretty well supported. So I can't yep. see a dip going ever so far. All right. Hey, Mark, thanks so much for joining us. We appreciate it. Mark Dowding, Chief Investment Officer for Blue Bay Asset Management. And good luck to that England side in their big match against Italy. Thanks for listening to the Bloomberg Markets Podcast. You can subscribe and listen to interviews at Apple Podcasts or whatever podcast platform you prefer. I'm Matt Miller. I'm on Twitter at MattMiller1973. And I'm Paul Sweeney. I'm on Twitter at PT Sweeney. Before the podcast, you can always catch us worldwide at Bloomberg Radio.